This morning, uh, I might do I might do a few messages on this. We can turn that down a little bit, brother Matt's kind of loud. I might do a few uh, lessons on this subject, and decided we'd live stream these two on understanding uh, archaic words in the KJV, and uh, just this has nothing to do with any uh, soap operas going on in internet land right now. I literally have not watched any of the soap operas on that. So anybody wanting to watch the live stream just to see another uh, episode of it, move along. There will be nothing for you here. This is uh, completely unrelated. If, it, if it's connected to any soap operas, it's probably been inspired more by some that have been going on a long time in like the Twitter world uh, against the KJV-only crowd. And one thing that people will often bring up as an excuse to start using modern uh, translations of the Bible, is they'll bring up the fact that there are what we would call archaic words in the King James Bible, just words, English words that we just don't really use anymore and that people don't know the meaning to. And, you know, people will often do that whenever they want to try to, you know, teach some kind of false doctrine, uh, whenever they want to deceive, mislead. They will often state a fact you know, and they'll they'll bring up an undeniable truth, and then they'll jump to a false conclusion with it, or they'll just, um, or they will find a legitimate challenge that's out there, and instead, of, and then they will, uh, their solution is just dead wrong. Where there's actually way better, easier solutions for this problem, and so uh, we're going to look at a few archaic words, and and what I'll what I'm planning on doing. I don't want to just like go through and all we do is read words and definitions. That might get kind of boring. So I want to kind of teach some principles as we go through this too that will help us uh, in understanding our Bible. But let's, we'll start out reading in Matthew 4, 4. It says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And we often use this verse to just show how important the Word of God is, that we're not, I mean, folks, bread is necessity for life. We have to eat. But, you know, the truth is, God's Word is also a necessity, especially for eternal life. You have to have the Word of God. And we are supposed to live by the Word of God, and we need all the words of God. We don't just need part of them. And uh, God promised that He would preserve His Word to all generations. And people get really offended uh, at those of us who have confidence in the fact that we do have the preserved words of God in our King James Bible. They get very offended by that. The same way the work salvation crowd gets offended when we claim to have eternal security and to know for sure that we're saved. And the, th- and the thing is, people who get offended at the fact that we say we know we're going to heaven, those are people who are depending on their own works for their salvation. And so they get the wrong idea. But we've got a lot of people today that they get they get just as offended when we claim to have the preserved Word of God because they see the work of preservation as man's work as well instead of the work of God. And just like God miraculously saved us, you know, God has miraculously preserved His work. And, you know, we live in a day and age where you've got, you know, there's been people a long time too even denying a lot of the miracles of the Bible. And as fundamentalists, we believe that the miracles in the Bible were literal. We believe water turned to blood. We believe Jesus walked on water. We don't believe these are figurative stories. And so when we uh, see God promising to preserve his word, uh, we just, we believe it. 
So, and we're not ashamed of it. But what I want to do, I want to do a couple things in this message. First, though, I want to show how to figure out how to understand archaic words. Uh, but then also, too, I want to show why it's unnecessary to update the Bible. And I also want to show that this so-called need for an update actually shows an area of disobedience to the Scripture that has created what people are calling a need. And what we should be seeing as people are struggling to understand the Bible is actually a need to get right with God and to actually go back to obeying what His Word said. If we would actually obey the Bible, a lot of these problems and and, uh, challenges that are out there wouldn't be a problem and challenge. So the problem is, too many people today, you know, Christianity is just a side thing that they do. And that's not what God intended. You know, God, man should not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Just like we want to eat every day, we need the word of God every day. But if you are going to live a life where the only time you really get the word of God is on Sunday when you're in church, just understand you're going to be malnourished in a lot of areas. You're going to be lacking in a lot of places in your life. And what you need to do is get better nutrition. You need to get regular nutrition. And then all of a sudden, these other problems aren't even going to be there anymore. So, um, one, uh, so let's go ahead and we're going to look at some uh, archaic words. But first thing we need to understand about how to understand archaic words is one of the best ways to learn the meaning of a word is to just pay attention to how it's used. Okay, And let's look at one example. I, I, came, I came across this list of archaic words that are in the King James Bible. And the first one on that list was adamant. Adamant. And... That word is used in Ezekiel. If you want to turn over to Ezekiel chapter 3, we'll start reading in verse 8. It says, I have made thy face strong against their faces and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant, harder than flint, have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. I mean, adamant. You know, what, what does that mean? I mean, that, I don't understand that. You know, I, I, I'm so troubled right now. I think we do need an update. Maybe the NIV is right. You know, maybe we do need to go to the ESV. Zechariah 7.12 says, Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in His Spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. So one way we can figure that out is one is... Pay attention to how the word is used. Okay? Now, uh, a good way to illustrate this, now some of you that have been around Kelly, you might have heard this before, but Kelly, she, you know, little kids sometimes kind of have their own language. And one word thing that you'll hear Kelly say a lot is she'll say something like, I be a drink. I be a drink? You know, what does that mean? You know, all right, so if you don't know yet, hang around a little longer. And if you hear her say, I be some food, you know, I, you know, what is she saying? I be a go to the bathroom. Okay. Now having heard me say all those words that way, can anybody tell me what B means? Need. I, I don't know where that came from, but that's how she says it. Okay. And, and so the thing is, you know, hearing her use that word all the time, when she says I be something, I don't think she's claiming that she is a drink. I don't claim that she is something to eat. I think she's just, that's just how she uses that word. You know, little kids get things in their head. And here's the thing too. Sometimes, just when I'm talking too, I'll say that. 
You know, and you might do that in your home when you have little kids that say things wrong. Sometimes you'll actually start using that language. Okay, now let's just say that caught on. Okay, you know, let's just say that caught on and it became a thing in America where I be a this, I be that. You know, you know, the art, you know, your language can change. Okay, but understand too, you know, if our Bible would stay the same and it would still say need and people could just go back and they could just see how that word is being used. And oh, when it says I need something, it actually means I be something. You know, like I said, that's probably not going to happen. We're not popular enough that we're going to be able to change the language. Okay. Even though I have been influential in language, you know, thanks to the internet presence, you know, uh, I've heard several people using the transtextual term. Uh, if you, if you ever hear somebody use the term transtextual, I started that. Okay. And I want full credit for it. That's people who are transitioning from the KJV. And that's how they put it. We're transitioning from the KJV. And I think they look like a bunch of hip trendy, you know, hipster, you know, modern types. And I just thought transtextual was an appropriate response. And that's been around. You know, if you hear the term reprobating somebody, I get full credit for that. Uh, I came up with that. And so uh, I I have been somewhat influential in certain circles (laughs) on how language is used. And, um, but, you know, at, at the same time, you know, it does, you know, even if I'm using a word differently, because sometimes too, when I say somebody got reprobated, I don't mean God has rejected them from salvation. I, I mean that this group now rejects them or this group now has declared them a reprobate or something like that. Okay. That, but that does not make the meaning of the Bible change at all. Even if I get the whole world using that word the way I do, the meaning of the Bible is still going to be the same. And so when we look at these passages that we just looked at, where it's talking about as an adamant, harder than flint. So what could that be talking about? When it says they've made their hearts as an adamant stone. I mean, it looks like it's just talking about something that's really hard. Something that's even harder than flint, which would also be hard. I mean, it's not that hard to figure out. So yeah, it's, it's just saying they made their hearts really, really hard. I can figure that out. Now, do I know exactly what an adamant looked like in that day? You know, exactly what it was. Can I tell you what an adamant is on the periodic table of the elements today for sure? I can't, I can't do that. Maybe if I did a little more study, I could figure some of that stuff out. At the end of the day, I can for sure get the message of those passages just by reading it, just by looking at what it's talking about, how it's talking. And, then, and so that's one way. Look at how it's being used. Another thing you can do too is you can use a dictionary. You know, you can use a dictionary. And if you look at a dictionary, uh, in the Hebrew, it says the, um, it means a gem. It says a gem, probably the diamond, uh, is one of the things that it said. Uh, if you look at the, I believe it was the Webster's 1828, it says a very hard or impenetrable stone, a name given to the diamond and other substances of extreme hardness. The name has often been given to the lodestone, but in modern mineralogy, it has no technical signification. So you might say, well, why can't it just say diamond? And, and I don't know. Again, I'm not, I'm not a geologist or anything like that. But, you know, a di- usually when we talk about diamonds, we're talking about something that's for their, you know, known for their beauty, for their value, not just for their hardness. And typically, too, when you have a diamond, it's usually something that's been cut, too, to, you know, have a certain shape and things like that. You know, and, um, and if you look up the word, um, diamond too, um, I believe it, I I think it comes from the same word as adamant, but obviously 
those things are just being used differently. At, at the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to st- sit here and do a deep dive on the word adamant and diamond and showing the reason for the differences. I'm just telling you, when I look at those, the two times that's used in the Bible, I can figure out that it's just talking about something that's really, really hard. And I'm not, when I, and the Bible is not trying to give us a geology lesson about what the hardest substance is. That's not what it's trying to do. It's just trying to show that they have, they've made their heart like an adamant stone. They've made it something that's hard, something that's impenetrable, and they, and, and, you know, they need to get right. And the Bible often talks about the hard heart and the stony heart and how they needed to replace that stony heart and have a heart of flesh. And so the Bible uses a lot of figurative language that were, it's not meant to be taken and to just go ultra literal with. I mean, do we really believe that Israel, their hearts literally turned to stone? I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be able to pump blood if it literally turned to stone. But this is figurative. All right? Figurative is what that's talking about. And so when it comes to the word adamant, I don't really have any problems with that. And uh, I, can, I can look at what the Bible says and it's, or how I can just look at how it's used and I think figure out what I need to know. And so, um, but here's the thing. What about the ESV? Could the ESV possibly shed more light. That's the one that everybody seems to be going to that are the transtextual types. They really like the ESV. And I looked up what the ESV says, and it says, like emery, harder than flint, have I made your forehead. So, like like emery? Are you all enlightened now? Does it all make sense now? Really? Like emery? That doesn't, that doesn't help anything out. You know, so, the modern versions, they didn't even make it any easier. To understand, well, you know, if you do if you do a deep dive, if you do a deep study on this word, I think that's a more accurate term for you know what stone would fit on the periodic table of the elements. It's just trying to say it's a really hard something that's really hard. That's all it's trying to say, and so uh, that just that doesn't work. So the next word that they had on there was the word adjure. Okay, the word adjure. And so let's go ahead and look at some uses of that. Because, again, this one's used several times. But when you look at how it's used, it's not hard to figure out what it's talking about. Joshua 6.25 says, And Joshua saved Rahab the heart alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua adjured them at that time. I don't know what that says. I don't know what that means. What can I possibly do? You know, we need the NIV. We need the ESV to, you know, to save us from this. I'm, I'm so distraught. And this is one of the things, too, that all the transtextual types do is they always just want to zero in on the word. They'll just say, yeah, jur. How many people know what a jur means? But, you know, they don't get up and read the passages like this. Let's, no, let's just read the passages. Let's just see how the word is used. No, what do they want to do? They want to just go to the dictionary. Now, here's the thing. Again, I'm not against using a dictionary to help you understand a word. In fact, the more rare the word is, like if it is something that's only in the Bible one time, it is something that might require the use of a dictionary or something like that. But at the same, at the same time, dictionaries often, and, and many words, especially English words, often have more than one meaning. So the thing is, what people are often doing is they're, just they'll go to a word like this, or they'll go to any word, even one that we can understand. This is this is their method of exegesis. 
They will just go to a word and they'll look at all these possible uses. And then it's like they just pick the use that they like. But the thing is, we don't need to go to a dictionary to figure out which definition, to figure out all that kind of stuff. We go to the context of the passage. We look at what it's been talking about throughout that verse, throughout that chapter, throughout the Bible. And if we do, and when you see a, a consistent use of that word, and when you see something that fits the context, that's how we can kind of know which one to use. So again, we should never just go to a dictionary, but I would say that that is a very, it can be a very helpful tool if it's a word that's rarely used. And so here, and it uses the word adjure, and it says, after, Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. Now, that kind of sounds like he's pronouncing a curse on whoever tries rebuilding. And we do see a story in the Bible where they tried to rebuild that city, and you know the man's son died. And, and that was fulfilled, and it refers back to this passage. 1 Samuel 14, 24 says, And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on mine enemies, so none of the people tasted any food. So what does it look like he's doing there? looks like he's kind of pronouncing a curse. But it's more than just pronouncing a curse, too. Is This is, he's basically swearing an oath. He's saying, hey, if we're going to, uh, if anybody does this, this bad thing is going to happen. And in these two instances, it's been a very negative thing. We see in um, 1 Kings 22.16, And the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? So here it looks, it looks like he is using this too as not just a, not necessarily a curse, but a command. And that's what Saul was doing. He is, he's giving a command, no one eat anything. And if you do, this bad thing is going to happen to you. So, you know, that, uh, uh, so we're kind of getting an idea of how this word's used. We see in Second Chronicles 18, 15, or, um, that's the same as First Kings 22, but in Matthew 26, 63, but Jesus held his peace and the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. So it's becoming very apparent that that is just a very strong word uh, that you could say they are charging somebody. And in, in, a, in the strongest terms, where not only are they charging them, commanding them, but they are pronouncing judgment if they do not follow the command or the charge that was given. And so it would be like, you know, if I got up here as a pastor and I said, I adjure you as members of Liberty Baptist Church that if any man, you know, starts spreading this, you know, transtextual garbage in the church, we're going to throw your carcass out. You know, what am I doing? I'm basically giving a command. Don't do this thing. I'm basically giving a charge. We're KJV only and we're not going to transition from this. And if you do, if you try to spread that kind of thing in the church, we're going to, we're going to throw you out. So if I get up one of these days and I, I adjure you as a church, you know, it's not that hard to figure out what I'm talking about. Just based on how it's being used. Acts 19.13 and certain, uh, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus 
whom Paul preacheth. And now these people, they tried doing a command. They tried doing this type of thing, but these were also guys who had no authority behind them. And it didn't work. It ended up backfiring on them. They ended up getting beat up. And so, um, I think it's pretty obvious what the word adjure means. I can figure it out just by how it's being used without even going to a dictionary. But if you want to go to a dictionary, you know, the Greek definition is to put an oath. That is to, uh, to make swear by analogy to solemnly enjoin or to adjure or charge. So that was pretty self-explanatory just from reading the passages. So, um, yeah, so look using a dictionary, just looking at how it's used. These are all uh, ways that you can figure these things out. Um, let's see. And so, you know, what people often do too, who are teaching against the King James only position and stuff, they will just ask, well, you know, why couldn't they have just said, you know, to make an oath, to charge, why couldn't they have just, you know, used a better word for that? Well, the thing is, in 1611, that might have been the word for that. That might have been how everybody used the word. People will often act like, or and, and, and some of them are careful about it. They won't come out and say it. But when you're listening to them, they almost make it like it was a mistake. Like the King James translators made a mistake when they used this word because, well, this word would be so much better. But would it have been better in 1611? I get it. Our language has changed. Some, there's no doubt about that. I don't think it's changed to the point where we just can't understand the King James Bible. I don't believe that for two seconds. But at the same time, that's not a mistake. That is not a mistake if they used a word that, you know, where today there could be a better word. It doesn't mean that there was a better word in that day that they could have used. And, you know, I'm not going to get up here and pretend that I am this grammar expert or anything like that. But you know, what I found a lot of times whenever people have done deep dives on some of these words and things, you know, where they will, if you actually really deeply study a lot of these words, you know, where on the surface it does seem that this other word would be better, a lot of times if you really get into it, you'll find out, no, actually that word that they used is better than our modern word. And... um Said, so, you know, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, you know, going into some of the examples on that. I'm not a grammar expert. I'm not a language expert. I don't, I barely speak English. So, you know, I, when it comes to a lot of the translation stuff, I'll let other people fight a lot of that stuff out. I'll just say this. I trust my King James Bible because it has been proven. And all I have to do too, and I don't want to, this will probably be another lesson, but the fruit of King James onlyism versus non-King James onlyism. That's enough right there. That is enough right there. When I see the fruit of people who are getting away from the King James Bible compared to those who are sticking with it, and I get it, you have your weirdos out there. Okay, there, there's always going to be a weirdo in every group, but understand that right there is enough for me. I, I got major trust issues when it comes to these people trying to uh, update our Bible. So the, la the last word I want to use, uh, look at real quick, because I got a few principles I want to try to talk about, um, and hopefully I'm even saying this right. But ague, ague. Anybody know what that is? Man, you guys are just going to get killed doctrinally because you don't know what that word is. You know, and that's the thing too. A lot of these words, it's like, even when you find out the meaning, it's like, okay, I definitely was able to get the main point of that passage, 
And this was not going to kill me doctrinally if I got it wrong. You know, because there are, you know, these modern versions too, I mean, not only do they get stuff, a lot of stuff wrong and have a lot of mistakes, but I mean, these differences are major. Like even when the Bible, when it talks about, you know, the passage where it says to, um, to us who are saved or other Bible versions say to us who are being saved, that's a pretty big difference right there. That's a real problem. You know, and there's a lot of things like that we can look at where the ones where they're like, man, there's no way you can understand that verse. Well, it's like, well, I might have a little bit of trouble with that one word, but this is not going to have any major doctrinal implications if I don't fully grasp this verse. But let's look at where this word's used in Leviticus 26.14. It says, but if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments... And if ye shall despise my statutes, or if you your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning ague that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. So, man... What is that burning ague? I don't know, but I don't want it. Probably better obey the Bible. Okay? It sounds like it's going to be something that's really bad that's going to affect your health in a very negative way. I don't think I want that. Okay? Now, I've got to know exactly what that is. Why? Are you planning on disobeying God and you want to see what He's going to do to you? you know, is that what's going on? But no, the, and, uh, what that word means, you know, and so this is an area where the Bible only uses that word one time. And again, if you really want to know what that means, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to know exactly what that is. And so that's, that's just where you go to a dictionary and it just means inflammation. That is a febrile disease or a burning fever. Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Why don't you just say fever? Oh, it, it use that word. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a distinction there. I don't know. Either way, you know, the doctrine that you need to get from this passage, you can get even if you don't fully grasp that word. And so, uh, it's just, it, these are, what people are doing is they're taking these things and they're making a much bigger deal out of the fact that you can't understand a word like that than is necessary. And then their solutions are just dead wrong. And so, here's what we've got to understand. God's word is not something that God intended that we just use as like a side thing. It's just like one more thing that we are as, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm an American. You know, I'm a, you know, I'm a husband. I'm a Republican. And I'm not a Republican, you know, but I, you know, I'm, we, we name all these things all, yeah, and, you know, I'm also a Christian. You know, now listen, God's Word is supposed to be the main thing in our life. As followers, as children of God, it is supposed to be the main thing. The Bible is supposed to guide our life. It's supposed to guide every day of our life. And not only is it just supposed to guide our life, it is intended to be a guide for our community. It's intended to be a guide for our nation. God did not just give His Word just so people can just do what they want to with it. Okay? Now, you can do what you want to with it, but the things that you don't obey are going to have consequences. And so as a nation, we have, at one time, we were, we started out to be a Christian nation. It was started, you know, they came over on the Mayflower for the advancement of the Christian faith. Without a doubt, 
But we've gotten away from that. And the Bible does tell us in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Folks, you can't get God's Word in your heart if you only open it up on Sundays. You can't do it. Obviously, this is a big book. There's going to be a lot of stuff that you're not going to know about. There's going to be a lot of stuff you forget. There's going to be a lot of stories you don't remember. There's going to be a lot of words that you don't understand. We are not supposed to just, you know, read, come to church on Sunday and hear some preaching. We are supposed to have the Word of God in our heart. Now, how do we get the Word of God in our heart? It says, Thou shalt teach them diligently. Okay? No, not, not just passively in a Sunday school lesson once a week. No, we're supposed to diligently teach these things to our children. You want to know why there's so many archaic words in our King James Bible? Because we're not diligently teaching them to our children. And do you know how much of our King James Bible has shaped the language of our culture today? I mean, still today, you know, we say things like my brother's keeper and stuff. Where does that come from? That comes from the King James Bible. There are many examples of things that are just a part of our, our vernacular because they come from the Bible. And our culture used to be very Christian at one time, but now we're getting away from that. So people, they don't even, they don't even know these things. They're not familiar with these words. And these words are supposed to be in our hearts. We're supposed to teach them diligently in our, our children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. The Bible is supposed to shape everything about us. But today, Christianity has got so bad, we're thrilled in the church today if people just show up for church on Sunday. I mean, good night. We see it as an accomplishment if we can just get people to get baptized after they get saved. But folks, if that's all we do, if that's all we are expecting, if our only expectation is for people to just get saved and maybe get baptized and occasionally show up for church, you know what? I mean, I'm glad they're doing those few things, but I promise you the Word of God is not going to be in their hearts. They, there are going to be things that are forgotten. There are going to be doctrines that are confusing. There's going to be words that are going to be forgotten. The Bible is supposed to shape everything about us. And everyone today is demanding a Bible that fits their modern American culture instead of going back and letting the Bible shape our culture. Oh, you know, that death penalty stuff, that's just so harsh. That's so offensive. Well, yeah, in this culture it is. But actually, we're supposed to be going back to that to figure out how to shape our culture. And people aren't doing that. And so uh, we got to figure out a way to, you know, explain this where it's not so offensive. It's going to be offensive when your culture is as sick and twisted as ours is. What we need to do is we need to not just preach the gospel. We need to start teaching people to observe all things. We need to preach all of the Bible. And then these things aren't going to be that hard. And so, you know, Christian, you know, Christian is not just supposed to be one more of our many adjectives in our bio that we have on social media. Christ and His Word should be our main identity. And as our nation moves away from this identity, we can't keep moving with it. And over time, it will make some things harder to learn. That's what, that's what, you know, if you have a degenerate society like we do, some things are going to be hard to learn. The solution is not degenerate our Bible. It's to fix our society. It's to work on the people that actually do get saved. In Nehemiah 13.23, it says, In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. 
And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons nor take their daughters unto your sons for your, or for yourselves. So notice when the people couldn't even speak in the Jews' language, did they update the Bible? No. You know what they did? They cursed those people. They, they drove them out. God did not update His Word for this society that had disobeyed Him and got away from the things of God. They were called back to repentance. And you know what? I'll bet it took some time for people to learn. I'll bet it, I'll, I'll bet it took some time. And I'm not saying today here that our 1611 English language is like some special language. But I am saying, when the language changed in Jerusalem, God didn't update His Word. And you know what? If we do believe that God really gave us a perfect translation of His Word in 1611, then I don't think it's too much to ask a new culture of Christians who seem to just want to put on Christ on Sundays, of people who seem to be speaking half the language of Christians and half the language of the world, I don't think it's too much to call them back to making God's Word more of a priority in their life. And you know what? I think the language will come back just fine. I, but how, how's that going to happen? You know what? We've got to talk about these things. We need to talk about the burning ague. We need to talk about adjuring. We, we need to use the words that the Bible uses. And think about all the confusion that there is just in eschatology because we have used words. And again, I'm not saying it's a sin to use these words, but because we've used words and terms that aren't in the Bible, like rapture instead, or rapture of the church, instead of calling it the resurrection, instead of calling it the gathering. If, if we would call it the things that the Bible called it, all of these things would be much easier to understand. But people aren't doing that. They're using all these modern terms modern lingo you know what if when it came to salvation you know we quit saying things like you know repent of your sins which is a phrase that's not in the bible and we just used the phrases that god used and god's word used and i get it there are a lot of people who will use those terms but if you ask them to clarify them what they say is technically right just like a lot of people they talk i i, I talk about the rapture sometimes you know, and if you ask me what I think the rapture is, I believe I can biblically explain it to you. But wouldn't it just be better if we used the words that the Bible used? I think we'd be a lot better off. I'm not going to go around splitting hairs and calling people heretics because I don't like the word that they use. But, you know, I do think we need to call back to people back to just making this more of a priority in their life. And I do. I think if we do, we're going to look at this and think this isn't that hard. And as somebody who has been using a King James Bible, since I could read, I'm not having a problem with it. I, I'm really not. I mean, this is, this is my language. It, 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 and it affects my language. And it's like, I don't hear you saying me and that all the time. I could if I wanted to. I'm bilingual. When I, you know, if, if they're that different, then I am bilingual. I can speak modern American English and I can speak King James English. Yeah, but it, it's not that different. It's worked for 400 years. I think we can just keep going with it. I don't think it's that hard. And so we looked at a few of those. And then uh, next, you know, the next time I do this, um, we'll, we'll look at some more examples like that. Just how to understand them. You don't need to feel like you're hitting a dead end when you come across these things. It's not hard to figure out. But we'll also look at kind of some more objections and uh, excuses people are coming up with to modernize the Bible. 
And you'll just find out these are all a result. Uh, these, these are all needs that have come from a lack of obedience to what we have right here. And the solution is not an update. The solution is repentance, is back to obedience to what the Bible says. And so with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that we do have uh, a perfect copy of it. And Lord, I just pray help us obey it instead of uh, arguing uh, over a bunch of semantics and, you know, striving about words and things like that. Lord, we'll, we'll just actually obey what we can clearly read. I pray that we will make this uh, a priority in our life, that it will guide everything in our life, Lord. And I believe all these problems and challenges that are coming up will fix themselves. And so help us to do this. In your name we pray. Amen.